Martin, if I can begin by asking you, at what point throughout the season did you think, okay, we are in with a chance of getting to an All-Ireland final? It's more than just a transition. There's a real distinct possibility of claiming that elusive silverware come the end of it all. Well, I thought, to be honest with you, first of all, the nature of the championship, Cuevin, that it was a knockout. And you know, therefore, you, you had to be you had to be at your best on a given day. And I knew we had what it take, you know, what it takes to beat Leitrim. And Roscommon, I was confident enough about as well. And okay, Galway was, as usual, that little bit more kind of problematic. But I knew when we had those uh, those three out of the way, and then all of a sudden, I mean, you had a monster championship. Um, with Tipperary coming out tops for the first time since 1935. In other words, you had no Kerry. And like an answer to your question, when I saw that Kerry were gone from an early stage in the championship, I, and knowing that we were to meet them in the All-Ireland semi-final, I figured if we could get it right on the three days against Leitrim, Common and Galway, that we had a great chance of reaching the final. Yeah, I guess as well, making very light work of any of the provincial challengers, going through Connacht looked quite easy at times for this Mayo team, despite not being hotly tipped by many of the pundits or bookies. Yeah, but look, the funny thing is with Mayo this this year in the Connacht Championship, they're away in every game. Now, for whatever reason, we've a better record playing these teams when we're away. And, you know, I remember vividly the first day I went down to Leitrim and it was one of those days that you wouldn't kick a fox out of a hen house. Like, it was dreadful. And went down there and, um, you know, watched Mayo get together, a lot of new lads, you know, a little bit of uncertainty about them. But, you know, they they, they started a little bit ropey and there were three points to nil down after six minutes. And indeed, at the first water break, there were 4-3 down. But once they found the rhythm and once the lads who were picked started to kind of maybe, shall we say, get to understand and to kind of, um, you know, know one another's play, I think from there on, like, I mean, at half time we were 1-6-6 six six ahead and we won as decisively at the end. Like, I mean, if you think of it this way, Cleveland, from the 15th minute to the, whatever, you know, to the 75th, uh, you know, after that initial burst that Leitrim had, they only scored six points afterwards. And we were very comfortable in that. And, you know, you saw some guys playing there and you just said to yourself, yeah, these guys have a nice bit of uh, pedigree. These fellas have a nice bit of ability. You know, Tommy Conroy, for example. You know, I wouldn't have been that familiar with him. But I just thought he was sensational. Brian Walsh came on in that game. Equally very good. And, of course, the old maestro himself, I think Killian, scored. I'm not sure if it was a goal in nine or a goal in ten in that game. But he certainly kind of started off on his, um, that particular day on a scoring spree that hasn't actually abated right through the summer. Now, the Roscommon game, again, I, I was disappointed at halftime in the Roscommon game, Cuevin. We were one eight to five points ahead. But I felt we should have been home and hosed at that stage. I felt we were by far the better team. And, you know, there was a lot of the intensity dropped, I think, after the first quarter or so. Um, we were caught cold a few times. Our decision-making was poor. And, you know, we had six wides after the water break, I think it was. And, you know, had they been converted, even 50% of those been converted, the game was out of sight by half time. 
But in fairness, in the you know, Killing, I think at the start of the second half, got three points in the trot, two from play and one from freeze. So, like you know, we we I think we doubled our efforts then, and kind of maybe whatever was said at half time certainly had the positive effect of turning the team around. Um, the the Colin final again abroad, shall we say, how would I call it, fault that, that had been present against. Was common was present against Galway that day. We were by far the dominant team in the first half, Queeving, and yet we only went in three points ahead at half time. You know, we just didn't seem to be maximising our opportunities. And then, like, you know, it was nip and tuck right through the second half. There was, okay, at one stage, I think early on, when um, I think it was Tommy Conroy and Brian Walsh scored points. Um, you know, all of a sudden went out to five, but then Gold followed with three, and from about the tenth minute right to the bitter end, it was it it, it was a very 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 tight game, and it's again it could have gone either way, and I put it down again to the fact that we didn't maximise our chances in the first half, you know, and you know you look at the last day then against Tipperary, um, look at in fairness against Tipperary they were a lower division team. Their, shall we say, you know, um, key achievement this year was winning their first uh, con- or monster title since 1935. I mean, that's in a sense um, absorbed all of their energies, all of you know, their, their psychologically and physically and everything. That was their goal for the year. And I think really, uh, you know, in that game, like once Killian went on the scoring spree. Uh, before half time, I think we were four twelve to one five up. Like there was never a doubt about it. So all told, like to to answer your question again, I thought when Kerry got beaten in the first round, that uh, by Cork, that Mayo all of a sudden had their nemesis, or what what has turned out to be their nemesis, so often out of the way. And I felt that the three away games wouldn't actually inconvenience them. And that's how it turned out. And um, they're deservedly in an All-Ireland final. Deservedly so. And they've done so with such aplomb as well. It's been incredible to see in such a turbulent year. A lot has been made of lack of fans in the stadium due to the restrictions, of course. But is there an argument to be made that water breaks help Mayo? Looking back on last year's All-Ireland semi-final against Dublin, a water break in that second half certainly would have helped things or at least limited much of the damage. I'll be honest with you, I cannot see the point of water breaks. I cannot see the point of forward marks. And these water breaks so often have the effect uh, of destroying the, the, the momentum of teams that have maybe been very, very, very impressive up to that water break. And I've seen so many occasions through the year where, you know, the game has been turned on its head after the water break. I don't see why you should have a break after 15 minutes to tank up again. I understand it's a COVID-related thing. I understand that, you know, every player, like it's interesting to watch them queeving coming into the match. Every player is a little hamper, a little plastic hamper um, container. And then as he has all his personal belongings, and most important in many respects, he has his water or he has his liquid intake. And basically, when he engages in that water break, he basically goes to his own hamper, takes out his water, and um, kind of consumes it. But to be honest with you, 
you know, 15 minutes before that, they would have had a, a, a water break. And I see, I don't see the point in it. And it, it is just an unnecessary stop in in both halves, as far as I'm concerned. And, the, and you know, that and the forward mark this year have done nothing for me. And I think a lot of people are starting to actually kind of take issue with them. I think it's a controversy, a new addition that will rumble on for some time, similar too to the offensive mark. And that is something Dublin will try and use to their own end. We've seen it throughout the championship. Paddy Small, Conor Callaghan, Kieran Kilkenny, all more than well able to claim primary possession against any defender in the country. Have you had many sleepless nights thinking of Dublin players bearing down in the Mayo goal? Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. Like, I mean, the, 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 the attacking quartet that Dublin have, you know, in particular of Kilkenny, um, Kieran Kilkenny, um, Conal Callaghan, Paddy Small and Dean Rock, they're more than formidable. And I think before you go out, you have to have a collective um, vow among your teammates that under no circumstances do you give them room. You cannot afford to allow those guys room. If you do, you're going to be on... You're, you're basically going to be destroyed. Like, I mean, you just look at some of the scores they had this this year. Uh, they scored 223 against Leishia, I think it was. And, like, what's frightening in, in, in when I mentioned that is that Carl McCossel, who came on as a sub grieving, scored seven points. You know, they, okay, they, they, they destroyed me, the traditional kind of powerhouse, by what it was, a 321 to nine points. And, you know, when you look at the, 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 the statistics involved in it, like over the course of their games this year, from what I can see, they, um, like they have been able, I think they have scored in total uh, six goals and 90 points, and they've only conceded 39 points. You know, it's quite, it's very, very impressive. Making sure that they're, you know, that the supply, the supply, um, shall we say, chain is disrupted. And to me, that's going to be the hardest thing, Queeving, is to blunt the the effectiveness of Brian Fenton and James McCarthy. I honestly believe that if we can, in some way, break even with them, if we can, in some way, and curtail their influence. I think we're going. To, I think we're on the way to an actual win. Do you expect the traditional midfield duo of Conor Loftus and Matthew Ruan to go up on Brian Fenton and James McCarthy, or could you see Stephen Cohn perhaps be put on Brian Fenton to try and match his physicality? I, I don't know. I don't know what James has in mind. Certainly, uh, Matthew Ruan has to be played out around the middle. I wouldn't be surprised to see him. Um, in the middle with Dermot O'Connor and Conor Loftus in the half-forward line. And in fact, them alternating those positions uh, throughout the game. And the other guy, obviously, like if you could afford to keep Aidan O'Shea in the full-forward line with Tommy Conroy and Killian O'Connor, I think you have a much more powerful side this year. Like, uh, young Conroy has been a revelation. But uh, O'Shea will, uh, O'Shea's physicality and... His ability to contest the kickouts and that with Fenton and uh, McCarthy, that's going to be needed uh, repeatedly over the course of the game. So again, he will be moving out in and out, I'd say, on the signals from James Horn. Has there been a slight sea change in how Mayo players are integrated into the senior setup? Not too long ago, it would be very rare to see a player playing junior club football involved with the senior setup, now we have Ushin Mullen and uh, James Kerr would also be involved with the panel too, playing for junior clubs. 
is it now it's a much wider pool for those players to be attracted and that they're given much more opportunity or are the likes of Mullen and James Carr just generational talents? Well, I think strategically, James Horn made a decision when football resumed. And that decision was, I'm going to give the young lads a chance to actually play. I'm going to give a, give the young lads a chance to claim positions on the team. And those young lads too, who he's given game time to, each and every one of them has answered the call, Grieving. Each and every one of them. So, some a little bit better than others. Maybe Ushing Mullen, I thought, was outstanding throughout. Owen McLaughlin, I've been very, very impressed with. Um, young O'Donoghue, Ryan O'Donoghue, centre-forward, great little worker. He's a nice foil to Dermot O'Connor and Kevin McLaughlin on either side of him. And Tommy Conroy, to me, is the man. Tommy Conroy has a stellar, a stellar um, career in front of him. He's an unselfish player. He makes good decisions. But look, what I love about him, Cuevin, is that he has blinding pace. He's one of those guys um, that can, I don't care how tight you get on him, if a ball is put into space that he can move to, he's going to, he's, it's going to be very, very difficult to actually kind of curtail his, um, his running power and his speed. And again, I love the way he just manages all the time to slow down sufficiently as he's in the art of, uh, you know, of kicking and stroke the ball over the bar. He's a lovely kicking style, actually. I love the kicking style he has. Um, you know, sometimes I see too many players slicing the ball, kicking across it. Conroy has, to me, he is a true kicker of a ball, a true forwards kick, in the sense that a lot of the kick is done with the top of the foot and the instep, but it's not sliced as seems to be the trend with a lot of players, not alone with Mayo, but right across the country at the moment. Just on Rhino Donahue, it's very hard to see the contribution that he makes through the television. You're there at the matches, Martin. How much work does he actually undertake and how vital is he? Because he does seem to be out on his feet by half-time and as part of the plan somebody else has brought in. Well, you see, he's new to this game. He's new to the demands of it. He's new to the... You know, he's moving up from playing with Belmullet into senior inter-county against the best teams in the country. The step-up is colossal. And it takes a long time. What I mean a long time, it can maybe take a full season, a little bit more, to actually get used to the pace, get used to the demands. Now, the last day, I noticed him all right. You know, again, I had a privileged position up in the stand where I was able to see what was happening off camera. But he was stretching. He was, you could see his legs were kind of... (laughs) kind of giving out, you know, screaming at him. And that was even before half-time. But I wouldn't be surprised, again, it's just a hunch I have, that maybe James might try a surprise there this weekend. He might try a surprise. You know, um, and what I mean by that, I just wonder, would he be inclined to put somebody with a bit more physicality in there? You know, he brought on Tom Parsons significantly the last day. I, I, he and of all the guys he brought on, it, it, let's kind of try and think. He brought on Porik Ahor, who's physical. Jordan Finn is physical, but the, it, Michael Plunkett, who is quite physical. But Parson was the only physical player who has experience of this level of football. And basically, um, I think you're going to need. I'd be fascinated to see a subs mentioned next day. I think you're going to need a number of really combustible, you know, hard men in that subs bench to introduce them at some stage so as to kind of hit, rattle and roll and make life a misery 
for each one of those Dublin players. So the suspension is going to fascinate me the next day. And, uh, you know, will he, will he try Shamey O'Shea? Will he bring along Donald Vaughan? Will Colin Boyle get on the first, uh, or, or, you know, from 15 to 26? Uh, my own view, my own view on it, Cuevin, is that those three guys, that, due to the collective experience, due to, as a consequence of the collective experience, have an awful lot to answer, or an awful lot to offer, I think, at this stage, in a game like this. Reading between the lines, Martin, you could envision a situation where Tom Parsons is brought in for Ryan O'Donoghue. Would that allow Conor Loftus to go centre, half forward? Maybe Stephen Cohn might switch up with Tom Parsons, or, or you wouldn't know how that would work. I, I don't know how it would work. The, the funny thing is, the last day, Coivin, James brought in, I think it was like the funny, okay, against First Common, he brought in Mark Morn, he brought in Jordan Flynn, Rory Brickenden. James Carr and Michael Plunkett. Against Galway, he brought in, um, if I can, I have a written out here somewhere, he brought in Brian Walsh, who I thought was very good, Jordan Flynn, Mark Morn, Keith Higgins, and Sean McDonough. The, the last day, the last day, um, I thought, like, the phys- physical, you know, Parag O'Hora is physical, Tom Parsons is physical. But the guy that actually made his, shall we say, his debut on the subs this year, and I thought he just did a couple of delightful little things uh, towards the end of the game, was Darren Cohn. He doesn't run, he doesn't kill himself, but if the ball comes into his his hand, he's the most beautiful side of hooking it over his shoulder, and he's incredibly accurate. And I just thought he made a, good, a, a significant... Um, contribution to the team the last day when he came in. But second-guessing James as to who he'll use, um, I'll tell you what, it's it's easier than doing a cryptic crossword. Yeah, I think that's for sure. I think we'll all be waiting with bated breath to see the full panel when it's announced, most likely at the the 11th hour, the latest possible time. You'd imagine that we will be finding out about it. Oh, yeah, I think... Like, you know, you just look at the travel arrangements this weekend. They're going up on, on Friday, or excuse me, please, on Saturday morning by train. They have a non-stop train from Castlebar to Dublin. And they're coming back that night on a non-stop train. Now, I'm thrilled to hear that. I'm thrilled to hear that because boys can, I think there's about 35 of the 38 panel now based in Mayo due to COVID restrictions and working from their own houses and everything. And, you know, there's three carriages, I gather, in to kind of ferry everybody up. But it means that the lads the night before a game can sleep in their own beds. It'll be a three-hour a three-hour three train journey. It's, it's non-stop. And basically, I think it takes a lot of the hassle out of it. I often thought that the worst aspect of playing games in Co Park, you had to sleep in an hotel bed that very often you just couldn't actually relax in. And I'm delighted for the lads that that kind of, you know that this time round they will be sleeping in their own beds and travelling up the morning of the game and coming back that night. Yeah, I think it's a welcomed change from the usual antics and I suppose the fuss and the hype that surrounds typical All Ireland final days. Martin, before I let you go, can I push you for a prediction, perhaps a, a head one and a heart one, however you feel? Look, Cuevin, my take on it, I'm not buying into the narrative that Dublin are the greatest team of all times. Remember, they have only five of the team 
that won the All-Ireland in 2015 that set them off in this particular um, kind of uh, winning sequence that they're, that they're enjoying at the moment. They have, over the years, they have kind of knitted in new faces, but genuinely, you know, they have no longer any... Um, we'll see who they have no longer. They have no longer the likes of Jack McCaffrey, the Brogan brothers. They no longer have Dermot Connolly, Keno Sullivan, um, guys like that, that I believe were better footballers than what you have there at the moment. For Mayo to win it, though, there has to be an absolute sense of self-belief. There has to be self-belief that just sees no, no... Um, way that they're going to bend the knee to Dublin. And you know, the great thing about that queeving is that Mayo love playing Dublin down the years. They love playing Dublin. If it was Kerry, they'd be a little bit looking over the shoulder. But when it comes to Dublin, they love it. The second thing is, I feel they have to actually, um, you know, they, 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 they must be very, very strong defensively early on, I think. Now, that's my take on it. I know James has kind of gone down the road of taking more risks this year than may have done, than he may have done in the past. But honestly, I believe that if we're not a little bit conservative early in the game and frustrate and prevent Dublin from building a lead, if we, if, if, you know, if, if we don't do that uh, and to frustrate them, then I think we could have a very difficult afternoon. I'm hoping that the three full forwards continue in the form they have been showing. I'm hoping that every male, you know, and this is the thing, every male player needs to get a, an optimum game out of his system. The other thing about it, and Cleaving, my default position I always go to, why did Mayo not win an All-Ireland in, in the last 10 or 11 years? I always go to the fact that they never were able to call on a subs bench that significantly improved uh, what they were replacing when they went on. I always thought, like, by contrast, Dublin were able to have, you know, the likes of, um, you know, Paul Mannion, they could have Eric Lowndes, Cormac Costello, Kevin McMenamin. All of those guys made significant contributions, significant contributions to Dublin when they came in. Um, I just think that whatever service we bring in the next day, they must improve on what was there before they actually, uh, they must improve on what was there before them. Excellent stuff, Martin Kearney. Thanks a million for joining us here on the Saturday Sports Show's Up for the Match and enjoy this evening's game.